Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We begin a new sermon series this Sunday entitled The Songs Jesus Sang. So it will be a sermon series on the psalm. For the next four weeks, we'll be studying that book. Just a quick description of that title, The Songs Jesus Sang. Uh, the, the psalms were, in fact, just that. They were uh, songs or poetry. And the great thing about poetry, at least good poetry, is it sets true things and it says it beautifully. So uh, the great poets just don't say, I love you, but they say, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. And so the Psalms are that type of, of song. They're songs that express things that are true, but they express things that are true, they express it beautifully. And for that reason, the Psalms have always been an important part for the life of many Christians, uh, myself included. So first, the, songs, the Psalms are songs, poetry. They express true things, but express it beautifully. Secondly, these are the songs that Jesus sang. These were the words that he memorized. Uh, the songs are, are still in some churches, not in ours, but in some churches, the only songs people still sing are actually the Psalms. Uh, they were certainly the songs that the Old Testament people of God sang. They were certainly the songs that Jesus sang as he was a young boy in worship. They were certainly the songs that he sang uh, as he walked with his disciples. They were just a part of his life. And we know they were a part of his life because the Psalms are what come, came out of Jesus in his moments of deepest stress. In other words, squeeze a sponge and a wet sponge and water comes out. When Jesus was squeezed, the Psalms came out. On the cross, when Jesus endured the, the suffering and pain of the cross, what was on his lips but Psalms? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is what Jesus said from the cross. That's, of course, from Psalm 22. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, my God. Psalm 31, squeeze Jesus and what came out of him? were the words of scriptures, especially the words of the Psalms. As I was reading, uh, studying for this uh, message, uh, one of the commentators said, what will, what will come out of you if you're squeezed? Unfortunately, for me, not quite yet Psalms, but it's, a great, uh, it's something great to strive for. And so for these two reasons, truth expressed in beauty, and because they played such an important role, uh, the Psalms have always been a valuable treasure in the life of the church. They are called the hymn book of the people of God, and for good reason. And so I'm excited to open this great hymn book with you. Let's study together the songs that Jesus sang, the things that meant something to him. Billy Graham said, you know, study the Psalms and you learn to talk to God. You learn how to interpret your experiences, and that's right. And so that's what we're going to do. Every Sunday, one psalm, this Psalm 62. So let's just take a look at this psalm. As I stated, a psalm is a poem. It's a song, and a song expresses true things, but expresses them with beauty. So if you were to take away the artistry, take away uh, the beauty, and just had to ask in a, one simple indicative statement, what does this psalm mean? What is the truth that this psalm is expressing, here is what I think you'd come away with. What this psalm is saying is that God is our only hope. You can turn to page 11 in your sermon leaflets uh, and follow along. And just a quick word of apology, I changed the translation uh, to the translation in our prayer book. So you may have heard the reading from Eric didn't match up with the reading in your text. That was my fault. The psalm you have in front of you in your text, in your leaflet, is uh, from our, our most recent 
Book of Common Prayer. What this psalm is communicating, take away the artistry, what this psalm is communicating is that God alone is our hope. He is our only hope. Uh, and this is a sentiment that's all throughout the Bible. I, I give you a couple of references uh, of one, a few scriptures of many. It's a very common idea throughout the Bible. Who's your hope? Who's your only hope? God. Uh, a catechism is a question and answer that guides young people, old people as well, in their uh, understanding of the faith. And this is a great catechism. And listen to what this opening question says in this catechism. What is your only, hear that word? Only hope in life and death. What is your only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both life and death, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, what's the message of the psalm? A message that is repeated throughout the Bible. Who is your only hope? God is your only hope. For the time remaining, I want to do three things. I want to look at the unpleasant experience of this statement. God is your only hope. Right? It sounds good. God's your only hope. Something you put on your bumper sticker. I want to look at the unpleasant experience of God being your only hope. Secondly, I want to look at the undeniable re reality that God is, in fact, your only hope. And then I want to think together of how can you and I get our, uh, our lives to match up a little bit with what we know to be true, even though what we know to be true is not entirely pleasant. So, an unpleasant experience, an undeniable reality, and an unavoidable path. So, the experience of our dependence on God, our complete dependence of God, is, well, it's not pleasant. As I quote in your sermon notes, we may mouth these words glibly, God is my only hope. But Psalm 62 is for times when bitter experience makes us mean them, right? So there's a big difference between saying the words, God's my only hope, and actually being in the position where God is, in fact, your only hope. Let me share a personal story. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, one of our children was born on January 4th. Uh, and he came into the world in Alexandria Hospital. And uh, the doctors, when he came in, said those things that you don't want to hear. I don't remember exactly what the diagnosis was, but the words failure to thrive were a part of the doctor's report. Failure to thrive. So every newborn infant gets a battery of tests, how much oxygen, how much etc. And this child wasn't hitting the marks. So we started off in Alexandria a Hospital, and from Alexandria a Hospital, we went to a local hospital, we went to uh, Fairfax, uh, the regional hospital. And after there, 48 hours, we went to Children's Hospital. And I just know that's not the trajectory you want to be on. And what you want to hear the doctor say is, take two of these and call me in the morning. You don't want to hear, uh, uh, we're a little concerned, why don't you go to a a bigger hospital with better equipment, with more tests. That's just not the trajectory. And so, and, and further, to get in the children's hospital, the doctor said, look, you, you probably best way, easiest way is to just check into the ER. 
You've all been through the ER, I trust, and so you know what that's like. And especially an emergency room in Northwest DC it is just very unsettling. And so we checked in and there we sat in one of these uh, intake rooms in the uh, ER and they had a, a very nice nurse and the nurse was trying to uh, find an intravenous vein so the little child could be nourished intravenously and they couldn't find they couldn't find the vein, they're poking and prodding, the nurse leaves, and in a, I just had happened to bring my uh, book of common prayer, and so I had that with me, and the nurse left, Jennifer and I are sitting there, you know, she's frightened, I'm frightened, the child is eight days old, uh, and I turned to uh, Psalm 62, and by the way, uh, your prayer book divides the psalms into 31 sections so you can read a couple of psalms every day. And so this was, child was born on the 4th, this was eight days later, the 12th, and the psalm assigned for the 12th day was Psalm 62, which begins with this statement, for God alone my soul in silence waits. And I thought, yeah, I, I know what that is. I, I, can't, I can't resonate with every Bible verse, but that's one I can resonate with. Sitting in that ER room with a sick kid, nothing to say, just silence, nothing to do, just wait. And that is the experience of having no one to hope in but God. And I know that all of you, just looking out, I know that you all have been through similar experiences. The, what I just described is not unique. And thankfully for our story, it turned out well. Uh, the sick child is very healthy now. But all of us, especially if you've been, say, over 25, you know what it's like to be in a spot where there's nothing to say, there's nothing to do. All you can do, and it's not a specially spiritual moment. <laughs> I just happen to have my prayer book on me. And so it's unpleasant. We can say the words, God's my only hope, really? The experience of those words is dreadful. I uh, asked Anne to begin our service or to include in our service a very uh, beautiful Psalm 62. Uh, but I, upon further reflection, I mean, I love the song. I think it's very moving. I don't think the tone is quite right, though, right? <laughs> The author was, uh, of Psalm 62 was David, it was a shepherd. And the way that tone, the tune goes, it makes it sound like David's, King David is up on a hillside, got his harp in hand, kind of strumming along, for God alone. That's just not quite the tone or the tune that should be associated. It's kind of dark and it's kind of dreadful. David likely wrote this psalm when he was all alone, 
when he was abandoned by his friends, when his own son Absalom was out to pursue him to death, he was completely alone, completely abandoned, sitting in a cave with nary a hope in the world. And that is when he said, for God alone, my soul in silence waits. So, the experience. The experience of our dependence on God is an unpleasant thing, awful. However, it doesn't get much better because the reality of our dependence on God is undeniable. Just think with me just a little bit. So what we've said that you and I are completely dependent on God. He is our only hope. But if God is anything like the God we read him to be in the Bible, that he is ascribed in the Bible, then you and I are completely dependent on him. So Hebrews chapter 1 is an introductory in the very opening chapters. The author says, introduces God and Jesus and says, Jesus who sustains the world by, the world by a word of his power. He sustains the universe by the word of his power. And it's just a little comment. It's not explained, but that's all it says, that Jesus sustains everything. In other words, why does the sun not circle back into, why does the earth not circle back and implode on the sun? Why? Because the universe is sustained by the word of his power. Why does your stomach not digest itself? Because your body is sustained by the word of his power. Your present moment is sustained by him. Back up. You, your, your creation depends on him. He has made us, not we ourselves. Move forward. Your salvation depends on him alone. This is one of the great questions that the reformers wrestled with in the early 1500s. How can sinful humanity stand before a holy God? How can we be saved? And the answer to that question had been obscured. But as Martin Luther and others that, that recaptured the clear teaching of the Bible, and they said, here is how you and I can be saved. It is through faith alone, based on Christ alone, based on God's grace alone. And do you hear that word alone? Sola fides, that's in Latin. Sola, only faith. Sola Christus, only Christ. So, what is your only hope in life and death? That you are not, your, your past depends upon God, your present moment depends on God, your future salvation depends on God. The reality of our dependence is undeniable. And so our second point. And now we move to the third point, an unavoidable path. So how can we get our lives to mesh up a little bit with what we well, the Bible teaches us to be true, that you and I are completely dependent on God, that he is our only hope. And the problem is, we have so many other things to hope in. Like, we just, we have wealth, we have friends, we have parents, we have, we have so many things that we can trust in. The passage says that God alone is my rock, and there are only so many rocks you can carry. And in order to live into this truth that God is our only hope, 
we must learn to deal ruthlessly with all those other things that you and I may hope in. You know, Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me must pick up the cross and follow me. The author Fenelon said, whoever wants to follow Jesus must die a little bit every day. What he means is that you and I must learn to assess those things that we may be tempted to trust in other than God and assess them as, the, as they are, unsubstantial and untrustworthy. And that is exactly what the author does in this psalm. Look at verse 9. All the children of men, they are just lighter than a breath. Here today, what he doesn't mean is all men are bad. He just means that the things of man, the, thing, the things that humanity offers, just don't offer any real hope. We have the best doctors. We have the best medicine available. But it was of no hope. And sitting in a waiting room, all the best medical care that we could ever have felt as insubstantial as a little puff of air, just light as a breath. The same is true for riches. When riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And so here it is, our journey to realizing that all we need is God's fatherly care. All we need to realize his, his dependability, we must follow the unavoidable path of assessing everything else as unreliable. It's unavoidable. You can only carry so many rocks. And if it's God's going to be, like, we're all here because we trust in God. We're all here because God is a rock. Our problem is he's just one of many. Let me draw our thoughts to a conclusion. There's this little interesting verse that I've been thinking about in this psalm. It says, once you have spoken twice, I have heard it. I just want to conclude and think about what that verse means. And, I, and I, here's what I think it means. What it means is that David's sitting in the rock, in that cave, abandoned by his friends, completely broke, being pursued to death by his own son. He learned something. God said to him, God said something to him. What did he say, David? You, I am your only hope. God spoke to him once. David is saying, that's all I want to hear it. Once is enough. I guess not a message I want to hear again. <laughs> Help me to learn it well. And it's the same thing that it, when you're sitting in the, when Jennifer and I were sitting in the ER, when you've been in those desperate situations where there's nothing to do, but God is saying to you, Something. He is saying to you, I am your only hope. Don't forget it. He spoke once. Let me hear it twice. Let me hear it well. Put your trust in him, all you people. For the children of men are lighter than a breath, as are all the riches of the world. But power and mercy belong to God, and for him our souls can well afford to wait. As we sang in our opening song, may we trust him fully, all for us to do, 
because those who trust him wholly will find him wholly true.